0: A show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment
1: with what matters most. Well, hello and welcome to the Money and Meaning Show. Hi, my name is Jeff Bernier. I am your monthly guide as we have our conversations around uh, financial planning and wealth management topics all with the purpose of helping you create the clarity, confidence, and freedom to go pursue your vision of a meaningful life. So in these shows, we try to bring some interesting guests on and uh, dig into deeper issues around meaning and purpose and what brings you joy. And then we talk about wealth management and financial planning topics to help you create the margin, the freedom uh, to go pursue your version of a meaningful life. Hey, I, I I met some people recently that I really wanted to bring on the show that I think you're really gonna enjoy. Uh, I've got some some fabulous guests. I want to introduce to you uh Doug and Heather Bonaparte. Uh Doug is the president, founder uh of Bonafide Wealth Management uh in New York City. He's a very well-known wealth advisor. Uh, he has really, really, really made an impact um he's a frequent contributor to CNBC um he, he wrote a book with heather called the M- uh, millennial money fix that we'll talk a little bit about uh, he's been consistently listed in investopedia's uh most influential financial advisors uh and he's a really funny guy if you want to if you want to get some funny um and enter- and and also wisdom uh, he's a good follow on on I guess X we call it now, yeah. but Twitter and other social media platforms. But I'll let I'll let Doug tell you more about himself in a moment. Uh, Heather, his his bride, uh, joined the firm in tw- in 2023 after a career. Um, uh, she's a lawyer and was a corporate counsel for a large uh, uh, insurance organization. Uh, and like many of our wealth management practices, it's it's sort of a a family affair. So she contributed uh, in helping uh, Doug build the business. And I guess in 2023, she joined uh, the organization to help Doug uh, serve clients and grow the firm. But what's interesting and important about uh, Doug and Heather for our conversation today is they have spent a lot of time um, helping millennials with money issues. And recently they've become really passionate about helping couples around financial planning for couples, and they write a couple of really great newsletters. Um, Heather has one called "Our Tiny Rebellions" that she's had for a while, and 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 they've got a new one out uh, called "The Joint Account," which is all about couples' communications around money. So, without further uh, embellishment, here, welcome Doug and Heather to the Money and Meaning Show. Oh, so happy to be here!
2: Thanks so much for having us. We're so excited.
1: I am too. I, 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 um, you don't know this, Doug, but I saw you speak or facilitate a meeting at future proof and, yeah. um, and you were just really, really good on stage. So you have a talent for, uh, for communication. Uh, so anyway, great to have you both on, but you know what I like to do in these meet in these, uh, podcasts to start is just get to know, uh, our, 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 guest a bit. So do you mind just telling our audience a little bit about you and your family and, uh, briefly about your career path and how how you how you got to where you are in terms of your businesses. Who wants dibs?
2: I'll go first because yeah.
1: this Lady is L-
2: kind of like more exciting. So I'll go first, ladies.
1: All of us don't
3: want to too long. So for for the sake of time, Heather Heather, you got good idea. <laughs> Sounds
1: great.
2: Sure. So uh, I'm Heather. Thanks for again for having me here today. Um, I am a what I would like to call now a recovering corporate attorney. I spent 12 years in the insurance industry, which um, I think is relevant in part because it wasn't my plan. I graduated law school in 2010, during the you know dur- during the aftermath of the you know of the Great Recession, um, and I would consider myself. Um, underpaid and underemployed uh, and saddled with six figures of student loan debt. And, um, you know, what I did was I built a career for myself that, you know, was stable and meaningful. But really, I became a lawyer to try and tell other people's stories. I was a journalism major in college and um, have always had a passion for writing. Um, And so that was always kind of in the back of my mind, even as I climbed the corporate ladder uh, in the insurance industry was always like, what really, what really do I want? What really serves me? And what's really my passion? And how can I find a way back to that? And, you know, during that same time, Doug was growing his brand and growing his uh, practice, Bonafide Wealth, um, which I'll let him tell you a little bit more about. But, you know, the pandemic kind of put us in a place, both working from home, raising two little children, uh, still both trying to survive with our full-time jobs and and make it all work, um, that really repositioned, my mind around, um, my priorities and, and my passions. And there was a moment towards the end where I said to Doug, what about me? You know, and, um, I, we, we, we kind of looked at each other and said, if there was ever a time, you know, now feels like it. And so we decided, uh, after, you know, 12, 13 years in the insurance industry that I could swing for the fences and join the firm. And we would pursue kind of our next, our next act together of what this would, of what this, um, What my passion looks like, which was pursuing my writing, using my skills to help people, um, you know, tell their stories and improve their lives. And we're doing that through the context of not only the firm, but our newsletter and our new forthcoming book. So that's the long and short of it. Uh, We've got two little girls. Their names are Hazel and Ruby. They're currently eight and almost five. um, Oh, wow. Yep. We lived in uh, we lived in the New York City for a long time. But um, after our first daughter, we moved out to the suburbs and we live uh, right outside on the New Jersey side. And um, life is good. Other than that, you know, sure. we try we try and laugh a lot. I mean, we have a lot of fun working yeah. together. Um, and I, I guess that's the long and short of it.
1: Yeah, I love it. Like your bio on your website says Heather is a lawyer by trade, but a writer by heart. And, uh you're a very talented writer I've been I've been catching up on some of your recent blogs in preparation for today and, oh, uh, and you you. Do, you certainly do have a you have a gift. so combining all of this and and making the choices to um you know pursue um things that bring you joy but also serve your communities and your and your audience and your and obviously your your wealth management clients as well. Okay, Doug. I, I, I guess I was late reading this that you're a that you're a gator. See, so I'm a I'm a bulldog, so I didn't realize this yeah. early on. I guess I should have oh. checked that should have checked that first, but kind of give us kind of give us sure, your back, that first. Sure yeah, backstory yeah.
3: here. You got the upper hand right now. Um uh, <laughs> the historical statistics still looks good for the gators, but That's right.
1: uh, it runs in cycles. Yeah.
3: Not looking not looking great as of these past years. It's okay. Forgive us it, for both... Both being Gators.
1: No. Oh, okay. You're both Gators. Okay. Well, it runs in cycles. You know, it's like the markets, you know, you have your, you have your ups and downs and in terms of uh, that's
3: not go go too crazy. (laughs)
1: There you go. So tell, tell us a little bit about your background.
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, one of the more unique things about me professionally, hopefully not personally is, uh how long I've been uh, in the profession. I grew up the son of a certified financial planner only to become one myself. Uh, So I got a really early start helping individuals and learning the craft of the business, uh, building practices, writing financial plans, all of it um, since I was 19. So uh, after my freshman year of college at UF, I uh, returned home to find a uh, general securities manual on my bed and a father who said, uh, hey, can you knock this out before you go back to school and have some fun? And that's exactly what I did. Um, by my junior year, I was fully licensed, learning really everything and anything having to do not just with uh, financial planning, but how to run a financial planning practice. Um, that would ultimately allow me to uh, punch my ticket to New York City to meet back up with Heather, who I'd met when I was a freshman in college. Uh, so while she was in law school and finishing that up, the entire global economy was falling apart. Um, and that's really where the origin story begins. Um Watching Heather and our peers and our cohort get a really um, interesting start, to say the least, to our adult lives yeah. uh, through 2008 and 2009, um, talk about a delay in you know pretty much everything we were hoping to do. Um, and I watched my friend suffer as a result. Um, delayed starts to their careers and adult lives really weighed on them. Mm. Uh, Heather is that cautionary tale of taking out a lot of student loan debt. To go to grad school, in this case law school, and what happens when there's no job waiting for you? Mm. Uh, so I decided to write a book about that, and that became the calling card and uh, you know platform builder, if you will, for a practice that we created uh, that focuses on high achieving millennials. And I'm 39, Heather's yeah, 38, so we're we're. Elder millennials, if you will, uh, if you want to go with that term, um, you know, talk to a, a 31-year-old who's also a millennial. They'll give you a very different you know, coming-of-age experience, at least when it comes to getting a job. So um, I had this epiphany that if I was going to grow a wealth management practice, I wanted to do it by helping my peers. Uh, I was looking around my uh, classroom as I went to business school at nighttime uh, in New York City, and um, I said, geez, these are the people I really want to be helping and grow with. I just need to understand, and I already did understand what their financial realities were. Not that they're any harder than any other generation before them. They were unique, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. they're just, you know, that much more challenging in different ways, whether that's the influence of social media, student loan debt, uh, you name it. So that's uh that's where the firm kind of uh that's where the inception came from. And that was at this point. 7 years ago um heather has always been by my side uh building the firm uh even though she's uh been a successful corporate attorney uh an awesome mother uh how many other jobs she's taken on in that time uh, is mind blowing um yeah. but push came to shove our dream was always to work together and f- spend uh, our full time uh working Together and building bona fide wealth, and now we get to its next iteration here on the topic of love and money and relationships. It seems like the next logical step after helping our peers get through adulting and yeah. you know
1: well now into our adult lives. I love it. So you, you know, um, so this show is called uh, Money and Meaning, yeah. and I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Money and Meaning Journey: A Guide to Clarity, Financial Confidence, and Joy, and. I wrote the book because it was my experience um, as a as as, some, as one of the youngest baby boomers, but moving into all my peers are moving into next act, and yeah. so I wanted to talk to my peers that were moving into act two. Hundred percent. So I've had this career. What do I do now that gives me meaning and purpose in act two? And so you're doing the exact same thing. It's your you are coaching people yeah. how to navigate their finances. That are real to you because you're living it every day in your in your lived experience. And that was going to be one of my questions is how you how you migrated into serving this this subset of households that have unique financial challenges, especially, right. you know, in your case, you know, getting into your first real careers at a time where the economy was in you know the Great Recession. And and even even kids today, you know, coming out of the pandemic are probably having similar experiences in in some respects. So that makes perfect sense on why you would focus uh, on people that had the same problems that you were uniquely equipped to help with, because you were you were navigating as two professional people with two young children trying to raise children and build a career. Uh, Perfect. So you wrote the book, The Millennial Money Mix. So when did you write that? And y'all wrote that together, I believe. Is that correct?
2: We did on maternity yeah. leave with, uh, with my oldest daughter. We said, oh, this you're is really a great time to write a book. Why not write a book?
1: So you <laughs> have nothing else to do We'll write a book. That's, that's... Yeah, that's good planning on our part. Um, yeah, we,
3: we were approached, um, by an agent, um, who is honestly reading something else that we put out there and said, um, Hey, where, where's a book around this topic? And it was around the challenges that financial challenges that millennials were facing. And, uh, said, you should write a book about this. And I went home and told Heather about it. And we had kind of outlined something like, Heather,
1: you
2: should write a book about this.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Basically. Let's write a book.
2: Yeah.
3: (laughs) And, And, uh, you know, she said, let, let's do it. And, um, we outlined it, started to put, you know, words to paper. And, uh, sure enough, um, Got a book deal for that, and wrote the *Millennial Money Fix*, and we wanted to explore how our generation found itself in our own unique situation, um, mainly around uh, student loan debt. Mm. You know, how is it that an entire generation is more saddled with uh, student loan debt than any other generation before it, as well as provide a prescriptive guide of, you know, how to get yourself from chronologically, if you will, choosing a school. To ultimately marriage and settling down, how do you navigate really your twenties? Well, at least for us, what was our twenties then? Now, now we're pushing forty. So, right. um, it was an awesome endeavor. You know, Heather got to you know showcase a lot of her writing skills there, and it really served as the the platform builder for everything that we now have today.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, so you just described it. So, the big idea in the book was how to navigate your getting out of college, how to deal with these huge massive loans that you may have yeah. how to choose a career that is a yep. good fit those kinds of things and I guess basic- approach- I'm
2: sorry Jeff go for Please. it yeah oh, well no, we-
1: well you yeah, expand on it expand on on what's what does the book help with
2: we approached it from the standpoint of adulting 101 it uh, didn't yeah. seem like it didn't seem like there was um a guide for for our peers that were in what we felt like was an unprecedented, unique situation, um, particularly because so many of us were saddled with student loan debt and how to find and chart a course forward. But really even rewinding even before that, like we wanted to help millennials who were deciding to choose a college to really look at it from a mm-hmm. much more critical lens and say, you have to think about the return on your investment here. I mean, the the cost of education is rising and rising. And we, we discussed, you know, the reason why we thought that was in the book and and you know we are really our own advocates i mean i think if anything the one thing you know and, and and i look at the millennial money fix and i think you know i i still love this body of work right but a lot of it now in our late 30s i look back and i say man we really thought we had it all figured out didn't we and we and and we didn't and and so i will say like great body of work But when you look back at now, now people who um, are married, have kids, have gone through all sorts of challenges, including a global pandemic, have really experienced, um, you know, dynamic shifts in our relationship that don't have to do with these, you know, firsts, these big firsts, you know, getting your first job, uh, graduating college, like life becomes much more dynamic than just surviving those first big things. I call them the years when big things happen. And, and those are your, you know, twenties, your late twenties, early thirties, but what then,
1: you know? So is the information, I would think though, the information is timeless though, just for that subset of people. Is that, I mean, is the information, do you feel like the information in the book is still useful for the 20 somethings of today? Hundred percent. Yeah, I would 100%. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. It, anyone, anyone who's looking for a guide to navigate that part of their life is going to find tremendous value in that. the The first part of the book, which really touches on the the state of affairs uh, related to uh, student loans, how they're issued, the history behind them. Yes and no. Yes and no. I think um, the generation Gen Z, in this case, after Millennials, uh, has wised up a little bit from what Millennials have been through, and that might not be. Applicable to you know their financial situation, but if they're looking on how to get themselves organized and situated for their adult life and their careers from a personal financial planning point of view, yes, yeah. absolutely. But you know, not so yeah, a lot of evergreen financial planning is evergreen, as right. you know. Right. But um, some of the information surrounding that maybe not so much. Right. Um, but it's awesome to look back at that and really say, wow, this is where this is where we were. Um. So as a as a timestamp, um. It's very fascinating. I'm sure we'll continue to look back at it every time I pick up the book. And there's always a copy around somewhere. Right. Um, every time I pick up that book and and scan a few pages, I, I always seem to chuckle. And of course, Heather and I tell our story a lot in that as well. So it's a nice flashback to you know times of the past. Oh, we've been, yeah, we've been together forever.
1: Yeah, autobiographical in me in many respects. So yeah, well, I, you know, I know you're passionate right now and are really focused on the couple story and the couples uh financial planning and and issues around communication but maybe there's uh maybe there's an uh a, a volume 2 of the millennium model money fix in your future uh maybe to update some of the information because it sounds really valuable uh, There certainly even, might be even yeah. even, one, even today
3: one book at a time one book at <laughs> a time jeff <laughs> yeah at one a time. one
1: yeah one book two uh newsletters uh, now you're contributors to CNBC digital. I mean, uh, and you're raising two children and you're running wealth management practice, but you know, what's one more book in there, you know? So those minor
3: details. AI, those AI robots can't come soon. Yeah. enough. We, we, need, <laughs> we need a little lifting here.
1: There you go. Well, one of the things I saw on the website about the book that resonated with me was about choosing your career. And mm-hmm. you wrote some things, you said navigating the job landscape to do what you love in redefining retirement as the ability to do what you want. Uh, I, I really like that, but and then I of course then I saw your tweet today. Said, choose a career you love and you'll never work a day in your life because that field that field isn't hiring. And it reminded me um a couple of years ago, I listened to the Bill Moyer's interview with Joseph Campbell. If you know who he is, he studies uh, mm-hmm. religion and myths and or he did, he's passed away. But one of his mantras was always follow your bliss, follow your heart, follow your bliss, follow your heart. And then there's another guy named Cal Newport that wrote a book called Deep Work, I'm sure you're familiar with. And he takes a little different take. He said, you know, put in the work to master something that's valuable uh, and and what you're passionate about will bubble up. Sure. But but I'm just curious, kind of your take on... Young people choosing a career, what what counsel did you give in the book, or what advice would you give today?
3: I'll start on that. You, oh, you're about to you're about to say I'll start on that. No, did, no I, you go. Yeah, I don't think there's really one set pathway here, but from the book standpoint, it's making sure you know how to get a return on any investment you're about to make, not just with money but also your time. Um, you know, one of the things that we noticed was what put millennials particularly into the situation around student loan debt was no one really took a minute to sit them down and say, hey, here's a big financial decision you're about to make. And here's the financial consequences of making that decision. Do you know if you go to this school or pursue this thing you think you want to do through higher education, this is what's going to be waiting for you afterwards. How does that relate mm. to the salary you think you can make in a career like that? Where is that? What does that look like? There's no real complex mathematics around that. You can look up the average starting salary of, we're all taught to be marine yeah, biologists.
1: Not hard to find, yeah.
3: Yeah, There's like all the data's out there, not hard to find. And you can kind of back into those numbers. No one's doing this level of critical thinking to say, hey, is this a viable pathway into pursuing something you might love? you might love. The harder thing is for parents to actually sit down with their children and say, all right, let's have a real conversation around what it is that you're passionate about in life. Talking to a 16 or 17 year old, what they're passionate about in life is, you know, not, not a, you know, small feat here. So, um, a combination of these things would go a long way in helping make constructive financial decisions around how to get your life started out on the right foot. Heather.
2: I think that's a very, that's a great, like, practitioner's approach from, and like that's a practitioner's approach i'll take i'll take the other side of this which is how we typically do yeah, this yes yeah, yeah i think millennials in general are very impact driven i think that it's important to us to feel as though our work is meaningful and impactful yeah. and that anything we do we do to reach um to reach that level of not only personal satisfaction, but I really, I really believe that there's uh, we're impact driven. Um, So in terms of thinking about like how we positioned retirement in the book as not just, you know, sit down, put your head down for 30 years so that you can be done and do nothing. Right. I, I think, you know, our, our approach in the book and really Doug in my approach in life and kind of what how, the way that we operate every day now, and I kind of feel like we're already there, which is really exciting to say. I could have never said that even a year and a half ago. Is that doing meaningful work that matters to me to create impact, and and that's that's the way that I view it. Um, how Gen Z views it, I think, is a little bit different. Um, I think Gen I Z that. views it. Gen Z views it. Uh, it seems like they're kind of you know onto this idea, like the jig is up, right? A, a corporation isn't going to, isn't your family. Right. They're not going to hold your, they're not, they're not going to hold your hand. They're not going to be there for you. And right. I get, them. I understand how they feel about that. That is a parallel between our generation uh, dealing with, um you know, the early, early, um our early careers during the great recession and kind of what they dealt with during the pandemic and, and trying to look for work and go to right. school during those years. So I think that their perception is even more skeptical than ours, And they kind of view it like we work to live and we're looking for whatever our passions are in life and personal fulfillment. I don't know how if they feel the same, um, you know, the same impact driven uh, desires as mm-hmm. we do. But I know that they're like even more if even more skeptical of the idea of like put my head down, earn a salary and right. uh, hope one day to get a chance to do what I want. I think they're even more skeptical of that idea.
1: Yeah, and so they want they they want more satisfaction today. They don't want it, They don't want to bet on the calm that I'm going to get it in the future. If I break rocks for thirty years, I'm going to get to have, I'm right. going to get to have uh, a meaningful life later. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I, so I think that's I think that's really cool the way you guys are able to negotiate both of those because there's practical things that you have to do because you got to pay rent. Well, and <laughs> but, we we negotiated. Both. Yeah.
2: Associated those in our own life. I mean, and that's right. why I could tell you that I, I I think when I look back and I say, wow, we really thought we had it all figured out. I mean, we really did. I took a I left um, private practice and I pursued a corporate legal role and kind of like grew in that industry because the work life balance was better. It was stable. Um, it gave us corporate benefits and right. it kind of became this uh, security okay. net. For Doug to take risks and grow his business and kind of like find that meaning and impact. And I kind of helped behind the scenes this whole time because I had the bandwidth to do that and also the way for us to pay our rent, ultimately buy a home, you know, get set up and refinance our student loan debt and do all these things. Um, you know, I, I I think that there is a balance there and we understand that. Um, and, and that was the strategy that we pursued.
1: Yeah yeah, well, you've, well, you've got to obviously you've got to strike the balance uh, of 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 the financial realities of what what you need. You know, talking about the impact too, i I don't remember who said this or what book I read it in. Uh, but I remember hearing someone talk about um, and it might have been a Jim Collins book. I can't recall, but he was he was quoting uh, someone who made a visit to NASA, you know, back before the launches, before the when the space program was just getting started. And he asked uh, a guy who was sweeping the floors, he says, what are you, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm, and the guy sweeping the floors was saying, said, I'm just trying to get a man on the moon. And and so he, I mean, his job was not all that, you know, sexy or or exciting, but he knew what the mission was. And so, so even today, I guess, as we're taking jobs to pay the bills, you know, maybe we can find meaning in what we're doing if we have leadership. To tie it to a cause that's bigger than yourself I mean I think yeah. that's the I think that's the failure of leadership today sometimes we don't we don't tie our corporate missions to why it matters to real people that makes their life better and but, we don't
2: bring our, we don't bring our employees along for the ride right you know to, to your right. point.
1: Well you're correct because of the because you mentioned we're all free agents now you know and we're the, the young employee coming in has more negotiating power because we don't have enough talented workers. And, uh, so I don't know, it's a, it's an interesting crossroad, but your, 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 your counsel, I think was pretty helpful on both of those fronts. So, so what, uh, so tell us about the joint account. So I've been reading it for the last month. Uh, tell us how that got started and what is the purpose of your newsletter, the joint account?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to cover all things, relationships and money. Um, when we were, thinking about what areas of personal finance not only are relevant to us and, and the practice and clients but also areas that were just not being covered um, this topic stood out um, you know we weren't really seeing a lot of you know uh, a content being created specifically around how to help people navigate communications spe- you know, specifically communication around you know how they feel about money Um, I think we're very lucky as financial planners that when we have, you know, both spouses or both partners in meetings with us working together, we see the really good side of it. Um, But truth is, that's the exception. Most people uh, are really bad at communicating around money. Um, A lot of people struggle... Couples. This is geared toward couples, right? Individuals. And then it gets even harder when it becomes couples. Gotcha. This notion that um, we all have our own individual identity when it comes to money. And then we have to share those identities with the person that we love most. And they have to do the same. This is hard stuff. Mm. And, uh, you know, Heather and I really like taking on, I guess, hard, you know, uh, hard projects here. And we said, you know what, not only are we going to write a book about this, but we're also going to, ahead of that book, um, talk and write about this um, for a number of reasons. One, to establish thought leadership in the space. Two, to help people today and have them look forward to and anticipate um, a large vo- a larger volume of work, particularly the Merge, uh, which we're working on. That's the name of the, the book. We didn't and, give it
2: a title uh, yet. I'd say... Yeah. Tentatively titled,
3: yeah, a, a working title. You never if you know were. what
2: can happen with titles in the process, right? And,
3: and, truthfully, and truthfully, what what the demand was and what I was seeing out of you know clients um, in the next phase of their lives. We just spent the front uh, part of the show talking about getting millennials to the point that we're currently at, and now it would seem that communicating around money and more importantly, what Heather and I are currently going through and what we've experienced over the last year and a half of working together. Uh, we came from a place where, as she said, she provided a, a stable uh, foundation for me to grow entrepreneurially and build the business um, to a fault, to a fault to where, you know, we need her here. She needed to be able to run a lot faster um, than she was in a corporate role. And that had us make some drastic changes in our own financial lives. Um, and when you're doing really well and feeling really good, um, and getting very much caught up in, you know, the roles that you have, um, something, something might break, um, or something needs to be addressed. And we found ourselves, um, in a, a new position of, huh, we really haven't communicated around this as much as we had since we were starting out. When you hit our stride, you you start to stop asking questions. You right. stop sitting down, you stop doing the things that you did earlier on yeah, you that made the, the position yeah. that you're currently in.
2: I think that's an important point that, um, and 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 we we actually talked about this in one of our newsletters. That, um, you know, I think it's easy to come up to excuse behavior when things are good, mm-hmm. right? You say, "Well, things are going so well that we don't need to talk about our goals anymore." Yeah, like, need-
1: like in a marriage or with your with your yes. partner, yeah, or
2: even financially, if things yeah. are going well. I don't need to be as concerned. I, the the person who doesn't take on the lead role in our in our personal financial planning, because I'm married to a CFP. Hi. Um, I don't need to be as involved anymore because things are going well. And I know that we have more than enough so then I don't need to worry about the day to day anymore. And then you drift further and further out of the loop about what's going on. I mean, and that's only one thing that we realized that had happened to us. I mean, I think something that Doug and I do well, that is going to, um, that's why people resonate with this new um, platform and this new material between the newsletter and hopefully the book eventually is like our humility. Doug and I are very honest. We are the first to tell you very, that very we are Very not- transparent, yeah very transparent. We are not perfect. And we're going to air ourselves out left and right in this newsletter and in the book, because I think it's important because somebody, when we do this, we bring people to the table to say, I really relate to that. Oh my God, that just happened to us. And I didn't think to talk about it, but because they did talk about it, I can bring this to my partner and say, Hey, we're not the only ones going through this. And we really should try and address this. And that, you know, when I look at the why of why we started the joint account, in advance of the book. It's because I want people, again, this idea about like buying in beforehand, like we, we don't want to wait two years for people to feel seen. I want them to be excited and already kind of having these conversations and like ready for when this book eventually arrives.
1: Right, right. Well, the way I was exposed to your material originally was through the Shaping Wealth Behavioral Finance Summit that we, uh, that Shaping Wealth hosted a couple of months ago, and you guys went through some of the types of things that you write about and teach about, and I assume some of the things that you'll 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 expand on further in your book. And, and one of the things that resonated with me that I thought was just really good content. I'd love our audience just to hear about briefly was your five components of healthy financial relationships between couples. Uh, I think you called it the five C's, I believe. But do you could you mind spending a few minutes on those?
3: Yeah, just a, just a little. Heather and I are laughing because a little inside joke. We we really um, we're gonna go through the five C's, but we we secretly hate the five
1: C's. Not uh, the content itself, uh, but, but the we type- love
2: the content of the five C's. We but don't like the we the five C's need, need a rebrand. Yeah. So if any, oh uh, yeah, listeners- we got to
1: come up with something better. Yeah,
2: think your it's listeners have a better
1: C is for cheesy, I guess. But we're, yeah. we're
2: yeah. content. We're
3: working on working on a better way to display that. But let let's dive okay, into. We'll
1: that. just do the, we'll the five big ideas. How about that? Yeah.
3: I have ideas around couples and money. Sure. Um, we really want to start out with with connection, right? Starting the conversation with your partner around what your money beliefs and behaviors are. There are a lot of questionnaires available online. You can go find them. We liked one from Therapist Aid. It was very, very helpful in guiding the conversation. But fi- find a resource like that so you guys can begin writing down um, you know some answers to questions around what your money beliefs are
2: it's important and that that's the has to be the important first step because understanding is mm-hmm. really is really what's what the takeaway is from that um we need you guys to really understand where you're coming from um when it comes to money understand some of those values and um only then can you begin to even consider compromise to even consider planning for the future if you haven't really taken the time to understand uh what, do, what are we really talking about here? So that's why the first step is to start the conversation with some of those, you know, with some of those uh, money beliefs and understanding them better from your partner.
1: Yeah. And, and is that and I guess a lot of that has to do with your your history and your upbringing and the way. A
2: hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's yeah. why um, our book will begin that way as well. Um, we're going to really talk about your past yeah. and uh and and what types of behaviors what types of values um you know you carry with you to this day because yeah. if you don't give your partner a look under the hood right. as to how you, then then how are you how do, can you expect them to really um understand where you're coming from today and honor it and respect it because right. you can't just reject you can't just flat out reject uh reject
1: today. A value something that, yeah a value. But, Yeah.
2: Right. A money belief that's affixed to somebody's value system. But if you don't understand it, you know, you're setting yourself up uh, for for
1: difficulty. Yep. Okay. So that was that was idea number one. Okay. What was number two? First C connection. Yeah.
2: Second second C would be communication. Um, I think it's important to schedule dedicated times to have these tough conversations. Communicating well requires communicating distraction free. Um and 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 really scheduling a time and a forum that works best for you. So if you know that that to be distraction free and to not be stressed and to not feel rushed, you can't do this. Here's a funny example. I'll give you a great example of what not to do. If Doug comes upstairs from Doug, Doug was working on some sort of like budgeting spreadsheet recently and he was very proud of himself. And we had agreed that we would schedule some time apropos of our second C communication. We'd schedule some time to talk about it later in the week but doug was so excited that he had worked on the budget spreadsheet that he marched upstairs to me while i was making dinner for the two kids at 5 30 at night when everyone's running around they just got home and the tv is blaring left and right
1: yeah yeah he
2: goes you would be so excited about this spreadsheet that i just made and i said great let's talk about it at our meeting And he said, okay, but can I just, can I just tell you about this one? And he starts like launching into it. That is not what you want to do. Okay. You're creating anxiety. Uh, It's, it's actually a deterrent from, from having a full, fulsome conversation at another time. So communicate in a way that works best for you both. I highly suggest you turn off your phones um, and just, put yourself in a in the best position possible to listen.
1: Yeah, some pre-planning around that. So are you suggesting that maybe um, Valentine's Day dinner is not the time for this? Is that- Maybe,
2: is- yeah, we may have suggested that in CNBC. Yeah, uh, this I saw that, yeah.
1: that's where I stole money, that from, yeah.
2: Money dates are an amazing way to set the table and communicate well with your partner, but special occasions like Valentine's Probably
1: Day- Probably not a good idea. Maybe you
2: yeah. keep a picture and leave the spreadsheets at yeah. home.
3: Some people have no problem doing this over a meal, you know, casually and, you know, a drink or two. <laughs> um, but for for me, I'll give you an example. Uh I like to walk, you know, I like we both to- love. It. Yeah. We like walking. I can give Heather myself. I can't, I can't go Yeah. I guess I could run away from her, but I can't really get distracted. You know, for me, it really locks me in. And before we move on from communication into the next one, you know, one of the central things here is, is putting yourself in a position to listen, Mm -hmm. you know, this really where people not only are communicating, but they need to be heard. Right. You really need to find that space to listen to them. And then you can get into the next one, which is contribution. All right? right. Um, We need each other, we need each partner to understand what their contributions are to the relationship, not just financial contributions. It goes so far beyond that. It's also about their personal contributions as well. Um, I like doing this from two approaches, writing down what you believe your contributions are and also writing down what you think your partner's contributions are, Mm -hmm. which could get dicey if you get some things right or wrong there. But I like it coming from both sides there. Um,
2: It's very important. With yeah, contribution and, and something that I think we as a society do a bad job at is limiting the idea of a contribution to the person who's financially contributing to the household. And that's that is something that we are trying to change through our work and through our book. Um, yeah. We are expanding expanding the idea of what a contribution is and not affixing it to the salary that comes in and right. and um and so we really when we say contribution because what happens in the household allows for the other partner to to be able to financially contribute and so it's very important to us that all contributions are honored and kind of placed on the table evenly and right. redistributed if need be
1: yeah well the you know the ability in the communication part to sort of die to your own agenda is really important, but on the contribution part, it's also I guess important to honor each contribution as you mentioned, regardless of whether it's financial or other uh, contribution. So,
2: very I think, healthy. and that's also where you see start to see like like disparate. Um, you start to see where things aren't equitable in a relationship and uh how people feel about um spending and saving and who gets to make the financial decisions in a relationship by looking critically at what the contributions are maybe looking at it differently for maybe the first time i think that you're kind of setting yourself up for the next step because you're kind of both putting um you're you're putting everything out there right and right. and you're honoring it and and maybe someone who didn't feel like they had a voice before, maybe a partner who felt like or that their voice wasn't heard or honored quite as as uh, much as their partners um, right. might kind of get their voice back. That's that that's the that's the step where we see that happen.
3: Gotcha. Yeah, okay. a huge piece of it. And then we're gonna talk about collaboration. And this is a lot of the technical stuff. Um you gotta have some data supporting all of this if we're gonna be talking about money. In this case, we're talking about knowing where things are. A net worth table does that, a list of all the assets, where the, you know, what's in the accounts, their values, as well as liabilities, what you owe. People need to understand where everything is. They also need to understand how money is coming in and out of their life. So this is everything from, you know, your budgeting or your cash flow table. They need to understand how money is made and how money is spent. That way you can have productive conversations around whether or not what you're doing with your money is what you agree on that should be done. You know, if you feel that you're not getting a lot of value out of going out four nights a week or ordering, you know, food in um, and you want to pull back on that, you can have a productive conversation as opposed to just assuming the goal isn't to shoot from the when it comes to talking about money. It's to have concrete, you know, data and evidence of uh, to support what it is that you're talking about. So this is where people need to get involved. Granted, look, in, in our household, look, Heather's married to a financial planner. Um, there's households where one person is usually the numbers person or the CFO. That's fine, but I just want to say this. Everyone has a responsibility to understand a baseline level of what is going on in the household in their financial lives. Not everybody needs to be Warren Buffett. Not everyone needs to be the CFO, but everyone does have the responsibility to know how much cash is in the account, how to access those accounts, where they are, what bank. You know right. that, that needs to be done in order for there to be um, really a, a team game being played. So collaboration, you know, no no team game is played without a team. So you guys are a team and need to do that.
1: Gotcha. Okay, great. And I guess there's one more. One more. There's
2: one more C, one more C, consistency. Uh, you know, this really should be done Money meetings should be done on at least a quarterly basis. If you can handle it, you should do it more than that. I mean, don't, I wouldn't say that every single day you should be discussing numbers. And that goes back to that same idea that we wrote about in our money, uh, in our Valentine's Day piece. Like not every day is meant for this, but scheduling at least a quarter, if you can do it more often, great. If you feel like that's important to you, Um, look at changes in your net worth as well as your spending versus your budget um, and discuss what's working and not working And, and be willing to be nimble with it and say, you know what, like we may have pulled back in this one area and I feel really constrained. Is there something else we can look at for next month or next quarter? Uh, Because I'm not really feeling good. Like the check-ins allow you to tweak what you're doing without those subtle, like, because what, what we often would see when you don't check in and don't communicate that openly about it, that frequently, what you'd see is Kind of microaggressions building up, mm. resentment building right. up, feeling yeah. like, well, I'm not, I'm not that sure that that these changes we made are feeling good for me. And then when you don't have an opportunity to speak about them, it just kind of festers. it builds up inside. It yeah. builds up inside of you. It festers. Exactly. So yeah. that's the last one. K- keeping this going, you know, as Doug always says, like you're going to be sore the first time you go to the gym and you and you do reps, but when you've done it every Thursday morning for a whole year you're gonna yeah, feel good and exactly. you're gonna look forward to it.
3: Yeah. It's, it's very important to understand how uncomfortable this is going to feel uh, in the very beginning. And it's also very important to understand um, how important it is to create that consistency. You know, if you're checking in quarterly, that means throughout one year, you would have only had four meetings. That's not a large number. Over right. two years, eight. And of course, do things, when things change in your lives dramatically, it would be a good time to check in. But after three years, you're at 12. We're talking years here of consent to build the type of consistency to get the discomfort of these conversations to go away and, and become natural. And the last thing I want to say, um, is that again, this isn't easy. You know, if this was easy, everyone would be doing it. Everyone knows that expression. Yeah. Um, this is what's not being done by the vast majority of couples out there. But if you can if you can go through this and make it a regular practice in your life, the strength in your relationship that you build will be like any, will, will be unlike any other strength, you know, anything else that you've experienced stumbling on my words here. But, um, we, we firmly believe that, you know, this is the pathway to developing a healthy financial relationship, um, in a partnership.
1: That's great. That's really good stuff. I, I know that, um, this it can get messy. And as an advisor, um, You, you know, I, I guess, how do you draw the line when there's conflict and it rises to a level where maybe they need more professional help than we're qualified Absolutely. to give? How do you negotiate that in your counseling with with couples?
3: Yeah, it's worth pointing out that there I love that you asked that There, there is a line, you know, when, you know, you can't do this yourself. Um, if you are unable to listen to each other, sit down, if you find yourself arguing all the time, look, there needs to be some level of self-awareness that, you know, we're not succeeding at these tasks. And that's where maybe finding an agent to help you through that is going to be of great benefit. This is when you and I find people knocking on our doors for financial advice and help, um, because they're just not able to communicate with each other. Um, right. And then there's parts of this that go beyond our pay grades and falls into actual, you know, marriage counseling or therapy because we're asking people to touch on in that first step in that very first step to ask about themselves and their own beliefs. And that's tied to a lot of, you know, conditioning a and a lot of, upbringing yeah, a and lot of and you're, yeah, you're not always going to find, you know, sunshine and rainbows when you go right. back over the years to find out why you feel a certain way about
2: money. Right. I would say that when, When you feel like those early conversations can't happen, which prevent you from getting to the meat and potatoes of the work that's when, right, Doug, that you would call in and, and suggest to them, maybe, maybe you should be seeking a relationship counselor mm-hmm. in addition to our work here together. And maybe that will actually help our work here together, right? right. I mean, if you feel like you can't get past those initial, like, Even if you're honestly, yeah, and, and I look at it this way, I mean, and especially with the work we're doing for the book, if you two can't see each other, how are you supposed to see where you're going? If you can't see who you're staring, you know, across, from, I think a lot of times we, it's easy to fall into patterns of seeing the partner that you want to see versus who's really there. Right. And, um, and projecting
1: a little bit. Yeah. And
2: projecting a little bit. And if you can see, if you can't see the person who's really sitting across from you, then maybe that's when you need a little bit of help before you get into the nitty gritty of financial planning and finding a healthy way to operate together as a team.
1: Yeah. But the reward is a better marriage or a better partnership and more joy and more confidence in your financial future and more fun because you'll you'll when you invest in an experience or something that's that seems frivolous you do it guilt free and you really enjoy it you don't worry about okay how's my bride going to think about these golf clubs that I just bought or whatever because you already have you know you've already had these conversations 100% so, yeah and just so sleeping, more, just sleeping more better joyful at night. how about just sleeping better at night yeah that's a, that's always a good one. Peace. Peace is good. Yeah. Well, this has been really, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So let's talk just a moment about the book. I know it's a ways away and you're in the early stages. So why don't you just set it up so we can know what to be looking forward to. So tell us about the book.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, get into it.
2: Okay. So we are writing what we believe to be a book about love and money that hasn't been done before. What we're doing is now is uh writing about the power struggles over money and relationships. So this isn't meant to be as much of a prescriptive guide as the millennial money fix was, like I said, like adulting 101. Because you don't win at money one time in a relationship. It's not like it's not like you set up your accounts well. And everything's fine. I mean, relationships, um, our money values are tied like we already spoke about today. Our money values are tied to experiences from our past. Um, And when we bring uh, when we bring our money beliefs to the table to have to, you know, merge them with our partner, um, we're really saying um, this is me. This is who I am. Not just this is how I spend my money. You're really saying this is what I value this is what I don't. And it's very, very difficult. And so we see these issues pop up in many different ways over the course of our lives. Um, and and it's messy, and it's really hard to talk about. And so right. we're kind of approaching it from this standpoint of being seen and uh, having conversations that haven't been had before. And uh, what we're doing is interviewing as many uh, real life couples as we can to share their stories in addition to many of our own. And, you know, top experts in the field of uh, relationship counseling, obviously uh, financial advisors. We're going to speak with, um, you know, lawyers uh, in the estate planning arena also, and, and family lawyers. I mean, you're going to hear from all sorts of experts as well uh, to try and to try and basically uh, bring both Bring both parties in a relationship to the table in a way that hasn't been done before. I mean, if you ask Doug, he would tell you that he's writing this book uh, from a practitioner's standpoint to try and have healthier conversations around money so that financial yeah. planning can be more successful. I'm writing this book for women and from the standpoint of equity. I just said this to somebody for the first time yesterday, and I sa- they said, who is this book for? And I said, it's for both, both partners in a relationship, but what I want because we've already seen and Doug sees so often that women are less tend to be less involved in their personal finances. What I want is for this book to be attractive enough to a woman who has who would not normally pick up a book like this to read it, say, Oh my God, I feel so seen and hand it to their husband or their partner and say, You have to read this. Yeah, That's-
1: let's work on it together. Yeah. And, that's are, that's and I really are cool.
3: so aligned on that one. I want I want people who are struggling to communicate or get their partner involved in their financial lives to be able to pass this to them and say, read this. This is us, this is me, this is you. We have to share in this knowledge together and it be the catalyst to a better financial life together.
1: Yeah. And 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 to start implementing some of the strategies like the like the five ideas, I, I guess. Yeah, uh, sure. Awesome. Really good stuff. And how can they uh find your firm? How can they find you on your, your your blog post and social media? What's the best? If the audience wants to learn more about uh, Heather and Doug, where should they go?
3: Yeah, I, w- I would say through any social media handle, because you'll find a link in our bio that gets you to every single one of these uh, pieces of work that we're uh, working on together. Right. Uh, I'm at Doug Bonaparte. Um, you can find me, of course, on Twitter, Instagram, um, bonafidewealth.com for the firm uh, and everything having to do with the business side of things. And for you, Heather, where are they going to find you?
2: You can find me uh, also on X and on Instagram at Joel. Well, my middle name just yeah. in case anybody was wondering um but also i should also mention that we are very much still looking to interview real couples for the book and okay. so if anyone uh if any one of your listeners is interest is interested in speaking with us it's very conversational you can be anonymous and we would be so grateful to have you and if you're interested you can uh email the merge book at that. gmail.com
1: and we greatly at gmail.com
2: and don't forget to subscribe to the joints account. And like sure. Doug said, you can find that link in any of our bios on social media or on Beehive at, you know, Beehive, wasn't it Beehive.thejointsaccount.com? No,
3: it's thejointsaccount.beehive.com. There
1: you go. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, that, and that's a terrific, that is a terrific uh, uh, newsletter, blog, communication Thank you yeah. guys do. So, well, thanks so much. This has been fabulous as I knew it would be. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed it and got as much value as I have. Doug uh, Heather yep. thanks a lot keep doing what you're doing you're really thanks adding value to our to the communities uh, that we serve and and also to the broader I mean you're you're certainly making an influence uh and impact I uh, hope so. you guys enjoyed the show If anyone would like to check in on the show it's available at all the major streaming platforms iTunes Spotify and whatnot If you would like to reach out to me you can email me at money and meaning at tandemgrowth.com. And, of course, you can check out my book, The Money and Meaning Journey, at all major online retailers as well. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for spending time with us today. Hey, go, go find what makes your heart come alive and put the plans in place to pursue it. Take care, all. Thank you for listening to
0: The Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at tandemgrowth.com. or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.